Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fan Fiction Tapes. I'm your host today, Maya, pronouns she, her, and I'm joined by... Ryan. And as always, I'm our producer, Ian, and my pronouns are he and him. Today's episode, uh, Tech Talk, is all about timing, a key element in humor and comedy. And at first thought, you may not entirely realize some of the importance here of timing and humor, but it's important enough that we decided to dedicate an entire episode this month to it. Hey, Maya, this seems yes. like a good opportunity. Um, knock, knock. Who is there? Interrupting coefficient of friction. Interrupting... Uh, interrupting... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is one of my favorite... Knock knock jokes. Right, so there's some useful elements that we can that we can mine from this little exchange here. So first, the form of the joke. The standard knock knock format is something that we all recognize because we've all been subjected to thousands of these, <laughs> and they help put the purse the everyone who's involved in the mindset of oh, here comes a joke, which is an important thing. Jokes are all about creating a sense of tension and then resolving that tension with a surprise. And jokes that follow a standard form, whether they're knock-knock or uh, XYZ walk into a bar or how many whatevers does it take to screw in a light bulb, these are all standard formats that help the people who are involved realize that, oh, I'm in a joke, and that serves a useful function. And the particular importance of timing in that joke and the the joke that it's riffing off of, the interrupting cow knock-knock joke, normally in a knock-knock joke you wait for the person you're telling to, the joke to to say, who? But in this case, you have to interrupt them to make the joke land. So the and timing that, of course, surprise. is important. Sorry, yes. Right. In this case, the timing doesn't just enhance the surprise. The timing is the surprise. And that's not going to be true for all jokes, obviously, but it is quite a nice illustration of the fact. Yes. Now, that timing is going to be different in a lot of different circumstances. Um, and it depends upon a lot of times what the person is trying to achieve. Um, timing, when we talk about timing, we what we're really talking about is the distance or the length or the weight uh, between when the tension is created and when it's resolved. Uh, the distance, if you will, in space and time between the setup and the punchline. And again, that's going to vary from situation to situation. Um, Airplane, very funny movie. Uh, it has entire sequences where every line or every second line is delivering a punchline. And it's flying so fast and furious that when one <laughs> of the jokes doesn't work, you barely even notice because the next one's already coming. Right. So this is a sort of an avalanche effect where where they just keep the momentum rolling and jokes that might not be that funny on their own sort of accumulate into something that just leaves you on the ground in stitches 
you know, other jokes are more meandering and take a while to resolve that tension. Yeah, so there's a joke that I like to tell uh, that builds suspense over a period of time. It's partly joke, partly true story uh, about the idiocy of myself and my friends while we were in high school. And I slowly build suspense and tension rather than repeated punchlines. And there are times when, uh, when the person involved may not even realize that they're in a joke or that a joke is coming until uh, something happens, which recontextualizes what came before. Um, so there's a one of the ones that I really like goes a little like this. I hope to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like his passengers. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, let, let's break that apart real quick. So the, we've got the two major parts. We've got uh, the first part, w which creates an image. This is one of my favorite jokes, and I'm now going to ruin it for everyone by overanalyzing it. Um, we've got the first part, which is, creating that expectant state, um, which is, but, but, and what it's doing is it's creating this image for you. It's drawing on our collective idea of what it means to die peacefully in our sleep. We associate that with like being in bed, right? Being in a, in a peaceful scenario, not just, not just that we're at peace, but the situation is peaceful. And then the second part completely changes that and uh, the passengers illustrates that it, it throws a completely different image into our head from the one that was created initially. So when you when you tell the first part, the the victim may not even realize that they're in the middle of a joke until the second part hits. And but because but even the even that being said, they are happening close enough together that. Uh, there's the, the the tension isn't going for very long, right? It's still it's still sort of a quick and dirty kind of joke. Mm -hmm. You can you can take that sort of thing and and draw it out really long, and I think that's called a, a garden path joke. And there's there's a comedian named Emo Phillips who has really made a career off of this. And one of one of his jokes that's been around for for a long time now. It, uh, some some people consider it one of the funniest religious jokes of all time, um, and it takes this this you know lulls you into the sense of security for a long time because if you see this one written down, it's it's like four paragraphs long. Pretty um, sensible, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the the joke is. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. 
Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> I, I kind of saw where this one was going. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like about two lines in. Uh-huh. But... Right, but so so in that case... It draws right, it out. Yeah. Right, right. The, the, the tension ceases to be what is the punchline going to be and the and becomes how long can this possibly be drawn out right how many mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. how much more firmly how many more iterations how can we make this happen before we get there and um and yeah that can be a powerful thing as well part of all these jokes as well is in their delivery not just purely when things happen, but how you deliver that win. There's, in the previous joke that Ian was just telling, there is a cheerful air to the whole thing right up until the sudden shift of the die heretic. So it also helps quite a bit, I think, that the die heretic line, which signals the shift and really is the punchline, um, is so fast, is so fast and so compact, right? In general, I I am of the opinion that punchlines uh, benefit when they have that that force. If your punchline, if you have written a joke and the punchline is like a whole sent is like fifteen words long, the punchline probably got lost in there somewhere. Uh, if your punchline is two to three words, then it has a high, much higher probability of landing. Now that I don't mean to be prescriptivist by that. I just mean to uh, suggest that um, when you're trying to surprise someone, you usually are more effective at surprising them when you're using fewer words or using uh, you know less when you make it more compact. That helps it land. Yeah, it's about kind of the the surprise you can see coming isn't really much of a surprise. Right, and if you have to make, um, yeah, I was going to say if you have to make someone realize that they've been surprised, that um, that <laughs> means you've kind of lost the lost the point as well a bit, um, unless that also is part of the point. So uh, I think that I may be uniquely equipped here to discuss a particular subject, if I may, which is dad jokes. Um, so by all means, <laughs> yeah. So dad jokes have imp- some important elements of timing and that's because you have to realize that dad jokes are not quite the same as other jokes. It's not the surprise is mostly from the other people, right? Dad jokes are interactive. You can't do, you can't tell them by yourself, right? Then it's just a joke. What makes it a dad joke is the disparity between how funny you think it is and how funny your victims think it is, right? That's where the majority of the humor comes from. When I tell a joke and I'm laughing and my kids are groaning and moaning in their seats, that is where the true joy of the dad joke resides. So there's some, when, (laughs) and this is where timing comes back into play. 
because if you can draw it out just a little to where everyone knows, oh no, something is coming, and they have that moment when they realize you're about to say something awful, then that heightens it because it increases that disparity, right? It gives them a moment to dread. That anticipation really helps uh, increase the disparity. So if I'm going along and and I say, was that joke a small explosive? Because it was abominable. So the difference between how funny I think it is and how funny and and then everyone goes, right. But that little pause between um, between uh, when I end my question and when I deliver the abominable and especially if I draw it out to to ensure it's there's attention there, then um, that increases the effect. Right, because it gives the people a moment to realize what's coming and uh, focuses their attention on it. And then when what comes out is something that is is really not worth the effort put into it, then it makes it even funnier for me. Right. Because at that point, the perpetrator of the dad joke is drawing most of his amusement from the fact that the other people are not amused, right? So that's that's what separates just um, a, uh, a dad joke from a garden variety of garden variety pun, which is the, the interactivity of it, right? The the uh, tension that's being resolved is the difference between how funny the two different parties think something is, and so timing can really help with that. Uh, to enhance that effect by by emphasizing that disparity. That is a really interesting perspective on dad jokes that I hadn't really thought about before. I'll definitely have to share this episode with my dad, who is a huge fan of dad jokes and has made <laughs> more than his share. Yep, yep. So, so in in writing terms, right? If you're um, trying to make that particular brand of humor land and and make it work one thing that you do to emphasize it and and variations of this work with all jokes um but if you can show the dread of people when they see the joke coming and then uh especially if you show the the uh person who's perpetrating the joke wearing a a grin of some kind or or looking inordinately pleased with themselves uh then (laughs) then you're really leaning into the shtick here um one thing that's uh that can be useful in writing uh when in writing jokes is remembering the interactivity of them and having uh people react to them um, you can you can sort of fool the fool the audience into uh, laughing along if you if you show other people having fun with it as well, um, or conversely, it, 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 again with the dad jokes, if they you know groan if some people are groaning in pain when it arrives, then then that is working uh, like I said, working with the shtick. Yeah, now I have to reread. Um a book that is a favorite of Ian and mine's because 
near the end of it, there is a dad joke two books in the making. And given the way the author set it up, I'm now going to need to analyze it with the lens that you have provided me. Oh, I'm glad I was helpful. <laughs> so another thing that um, another kind of joke uh, that shows the the importance of of timing um, would be the running gag, right? So mm. a running gag works. Um, you know, the re- the way that a running gag works is that when <laughs> when you tell the joke in its full form initially one time, right? It, it may not even be funny at that time. But when something happens that becomes a punchline to a later uh, thing that happens, then you've got a running gag going. So uh, Rumiko Takahashi is the expert uh, of running gags, in my opinion. Uh, she's a manga artist who's been uh, operating for quite a while now. And an example, uh, there's a character with an awful sense of direction who uh, is routinely late to things and, and gets into all sorts of trouble because they literally can't get to where they're going. And so um, you the miracle of this sort of humor is it, you only have to set it up once. Once it's established as part of that person's character that they have this flaw, this this uh, uh, awful sense of direction, then to make it land, all you have to do is say, meanwhile, Ryoga was somehow in Hokkaido, right? And the fact that and the fact that you've pre-established that all the setup means that the punchline lands immediately, right? That's all you need. And uh, that allows it to to deal these sort of sharp jabs of humor, if you will. Right. What came to mind to me um, with running gags was Red versus Blue, another um, long running series, uh, and the one that's particularly popular is second worst throw of all time ever. Uh, which starts off with when one of the characters throws a grenade, landing it directly in front of himself and someone he's working with. And then after that, all they have to do to kind of conjure up the humor there is have a throw that goes kind of poorly and say second worst throw ever of all time. Right, because each... Each iteration then is a reference to this awful thing that happened uh, that happened earlier. So you have the setup now. The setup to that joke is now built into your mythos, and it can be tapped whenever it's needed. Yes, and we got uh, a little bit off track uh, of the loose outline I wanted us to follow. So I'll try and bring us back on track here as we're 20 minutes into the episode. Um <laughs> And one of the things kind of setting up this episode from our end was the difference between comedy and tragedy is partly in time. And the timing of things here worked out rather uniquely, as uh, we mentioned last week. And as I'm mentioning again today, recently there was a submarine that 
or well, submersible, I believe, technically, went missing underneath uh, the ocean and was found to have collapsed. And at first, when you hear, oh, there's a submarine that's missing, we haven't heard from it, your initial reaction is, you know, shock, concern for the people inside. And time goes on, we learn a little bit more about it, and we go, oh, that's kind of more funny. And then you learn the details about the safety regulations that were ignored, the CEO's name, the price of tickets. It becomes funnier and funnier until weeks after the incident, jokes such as, sir, there's been a second submarine, become funny. Yeah, you've lost another submarine is a... It, it is could even function as a reference to uh, Hunt for Red October. But yeah, so one of the things uh, it, when we're talking, so this is sort of like topical humor, which is timing not of the joke itself, but of timing of the timing of the joke in the, in its broader context, in the in the context of uh, uh, linear time. Um, but Topical humor, one of the things about it is it has a shelf life. So when I was just starting writing, I made a stab at topical humor uh, that included a joke having to do with uh, Janet Reno visiting Miami in a festive mood. And the two of you probably just reacted to that with who, what, why? Right. So again, Topical humor, the thing about topical humor is that the setup is our current state of mind and the current things that we're thinking about and that we understand. And if (laughs) Janet Reno hasn't been on anyone's mind probably for about 25 years now, so what the the significance of uh, Janet Reno's vis-a-vis Miami, even for the people who understood and were were conscious of that sort of thing when it happened, it's been so long that it, it's just not part of our daily lives anymore. And so to even remember that takes so much brain time in terms of brain processing time uh, that by the time we dredge up what we're supposed to know about that, it, there's no surprise anymore, right? If we can't, if we don't have an expectation then there's nothing for the joke to play against, right? So that's that's the danger of topical humor, which is that, uh, you know, we've talked about jokes needing to have a setup to deliver the punchline. Topical humor uses our current frame of reference and our current understanding of the world as the setup, which allows it to cheat a bit and get straight to the punchline. The danger is that if... Once those conditions change and we're not thinking about those things anymore, the setup is lost. And so those jokes don't age well. That's the real challenge of humor, which is to, if you want the joke to be relevant for more than a couple weeks or so, you have to create the setup yourself. You you have to put in the work. Right. Currently popular memes, which is um, the only one that honestly came to mind, was... uh, Poland Article 5 with kind of one of those uh, Wojaks with a really wide smile, which references the ongoing war in Ukraine. Hilarious at the time, 
funny right now. Two years, three years from now? Mystifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is, I believe, I remember in the research for this episode reading about the world's oldest joke, which is something along the lines of a dog walks into the bar and says, I will open this. We've no idea what it means anymore. We, we've lost all of the context for what made that funny. I think I've read some stuff about that joke, and there's something about there being a pun between opening your eyes and opening a jar of beer. I think I think that's kind of where scholarship is at at uh, what what the context for that joke is. But yeah, it's untranslatable now. <laughs> yeah. So. It reminds me of um, of some commentary, some uh, shrewd commentary that I read in the course of um, in the course of the novel um, Wise Man's Fear, uh, which was uh, at one point a uh, character uh, ingests some alchemical thing, which um, makes him lose his ability to judge against societal expectations. And he tries to go and do something funny, and then he stops because he can't think of anything funny. Because he, he, the fact that he has lost all sense of, of normalcy of what, is expecta- of what people's expectations are means that he can't operate against them. And so he, humor has become a foreign language for the duration of that alchemical effect. So, oh, that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, not not strictly a timing thing, but it seemed pertinent to where our discussion had meandered at the moment. Yeah, there's a, a similar effect in one of Brandon Sanderson's books as well. Um, I believe I've actually read Wise Man's Fear, but I must admit I don't remember that scene in particular. I guess it's yeah. time for a reread. <laughs> yeah, they're worth it. I like them very much. Patrick Rothfuss. Good stuff. Right. King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. It, well, except that apparently the latest news is that he's dropping another novelette instead of the third book in the series. So, bah. <laughs> Once again, I'm remembering the meme comparing George Martin, Patrick Rothfuss, and Brandon Sanderson with the text, these three <laughs> made a pact that they will only shave when they finished a novel. Of course, George yep. R. R. Martin and Patrick Rothfuss have big ZZ top beards. And Brandon Sanders clean shaven. <laughs> That's funny. I like that one. But yeah, so like I said, not strictly, not strictly a, a timing thing. Um, but uh, to speaking of the um, different, the thing that was said earlier about um, the difference between comedy and tragedy being time, um, and part of part of it. Uh, I would say is um, our ability or our our, our instinct of uh, uh, sympathizing, right? The, the something can be right. The, the whole too soon, right? Yeah. Too right. soon is shorthand for has enough time passed that this doesn't hurt anymore, right? <laughs> and um, 
because only when it stopped hurting can it properly be made fun of in a way that that is appreciated and not grounds for retribution. And sometimes sometimes the phrase too soon can itself be a a bit of a joke uh if you're talking about something that is either um patently trivial or patently way outside the window of um pain. Um like for instance it's it's a bit of a running joke in in the Firefly fandom. Um the movie Serenity came out uh almost 20 years ago I think. Um, it's been a hot minute. It it has been a hot minute and you'll still see people respond there's a character death in there. Um Hoban Washburn the pilot of the Serenity um is impaled by a reaver's spear. Mm. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler for 20-year-old movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so there's a running gag for, for fans of, of the show. How do Reavers clean their spears? They run them through the wash. And the standard response to that is, too soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, related to that, is, this is especially common for like dark humor jokes. And I'm going to date myself a bit here, but one of the things that I partially grew up with was 9-11 jokes. And those would have been unimaginable in the years directly following uh, the events of September 11, 2001, at least within the United States. But today, they're fairly common. Actually, the joke I made earlier this episode, serving has been a second submarine, is in itself also a 9-11 joke, referencing mm-hmm. the... Yeah. Uh, somewhat infamous phrase, sir, there's been a second plane. Yeah, yeah. But one, but just to focus on why too soon is so effective as humor and why it it keeps persisting, it's a great punchline because it's quick to say too soon. It's too quick words that have a nice little bit of alliteration going. They've, they've got some good assonance there. Um, it rolls right off the t- tongue. It communicates all of its meaning very quickly. So that falls into one of the principles that I had earlier about how the punchline can land very easily and very directly. And, um, and it's drawing upon this understanding that we have about how, uh, about, um, the appropriateness or inappropriateness of jokes. Uh, so it works very well as a punchline because it's got a lot of meaning concentrated into two very small words. And so it, it hits very hard and very immediately. Yeah, sorry. I've just been recently sent a rather funny joke by one of my friends and I had to try really hard not to burst out laughing in the middle of the episode. <laughs> we will have to post it afterwards so we don't Breakdown. Um, and I've already lost the plot. <laughs> so we were talking about different um, uh, timing and and the too soon discussion, right? So and I was commenting about how how good of a punchline too soon is and what makes it a good punchline, and so kind of along the similar lines of um, banter. Banter is similar in that it has a lot of its power 
in how it goes rapidly back and forth between characters. Um, the, uh, the speed with which it's delivered, especially if, if they're being clever, um, can really uh, make it work. Because part of what's, part of what's going on is um, part of what makes the banter funny is our being impressed that someone could have a reply like that on tap or, or be able to generate one uh, so quickly in the heat of the moment, right? So that's part of what makes, um, what makes banter work uh, is uh, how clever people are being in the heat of the moment. Um, so the, uh, the back and forth nature of banter is what makes it effective. Because it's both condensed in time, and time becomes a part of the discussion. It becomes part of what makes it funny because they were able to to go back and forth with what with such speed. Yes, uh, my friends and I have dedicated a Discord channel to recording some of our banter because it's wit on its own can be how how you come up with responses like that quite quickly and. At least for me, that's my reaction of just how are people able to be that funny? I'm not always quick with a response. Right, because it, it's a different skill. It, it's a different skill to be able to generate uh, a response quickly as opposed to uh, being able to write a good joke, right? So, um yeah, there, there's a whole there's a whole neurological explanation for how uh, how different neural processes happen. About which there are some tasks uh, that draw upon your knee jerk reactions, and that your proficiency in them is based upon um, the part of your brain that handles things at speed. It has to do with your, how developed your heuristics are. Um, which I am saying solely because I like the word heuristics. Um, That's a good word. <laughs> fun to say. Um, as opposed to the part of the brain that thinks about things in more of a in more of a time relaxed manner. So I'm going to. May I digress a little? Absolutely. This is partially the ADHD talking hour, after all. All right. So. I remember being utterly fascinated by something I saw in, of all things, a video game magazine. So this video game magazine had a running feature uh, where two two of their editors would pick up a game neither of them had ever played before and just try their best to beat each other up at it. Great stuff. Um, and one of the things that they tracked was their record in different genres. A video game, not just you know individual games, because they may never play each other at those games again, but by genre. And the biggest disparity in genres was uh, one of them had an overwhelming lead in real-time strategy games, and the other had an overwhelming, insurmountable lead in turn-based strategy games. <laughs> You may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, they're both strategy games. Don't they both use the same circuits? And the answer is no, not at all. It's like I was uh, 
And this is where I tie it back, where it we're talking about different parts of the brain that are controlling these different things. The part of the brain that uh, that is generating quick responses and is concentrating on speed is a different part of the brain from the part that does your deep thinking, and they have different strengths in and in different people. One will be stronger in another person. So, it, amusingly, this is why the trope in many anime of the of the seemingly dull-witted protagonist who is able to think lively on his feet in the heat of battle actually is plausible right because being able to get good grades in school doesn't mean that you're it is actually turns out to be completely unrelated to uh thinking on your feet when the bullets are flying if you will they're just completely different parts of the brain um so but it also means for us um this also gets back to the banter point and and provides some words of comfort for us as writers i think too is that if you're you know watching people go at it or you're reading um people bickering back and forth and and marveling at their ability to come up with these quips just on the fly you can take solace in the fact that you don't need to be able to do that to write humor effectively because that's a different part of your brain. The fact that you can't banter like you wish you could banter, like the characters that you're reading are bantering, doesn't mean you can't write banter. Because when you're writing banter, it is you the, have all the time in the world. Right. It's the slow analytical part of your brain that has taken precedence. And now you're able to go as you will. So, so you can, t so. All of which is kind of the long way of saying that you, yes, you too can write banter even if you can't do it. It's okay. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> Fun. <laughs> yeah, my dad has always been very, very witty and kind of on the spot with responses. Whereas I'll think of something really funny a couple of days later. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of days later, it's not necessarily as funny as it was in the moment. Right, because it's a, it, it's a couple different days later. kind of humor. Right, right. It, and, and not only that, but um, again, the referent, right? The thing that it was replying to has long, has long been lost, right? So, so it's lost its place in time. The setup is gone. Yeah, so to, to put it in language that we've been using earlier, when you've got characters bantering back and forth, you can use them as each other's setups, right? Character A provides the setup and character B provides the punchline. And then <laughs> depending upon the speed with which they're going, there may be another punchline right back. And, and that speed, um, especially if it's only two characters, as a writing technique, this is where you do things like you drop the dialogue tags, right? You you simplify, you streamline your prose so that the flow can go unencumbered, right? So you you emphasize the speed by cutting uh, anything that's unnecessary from your prose. Let it let it go. Yeah, and this actually kind of brings us into one of the topics I wanted to hit at the end of the episode: advice for your written media. Part of the things about timing and 
a lot of the ways you can use to make jokes funny rely on having multiple modes of communication. You have pitch, you have kind of your tone of voice, you have how quickly someone is actually saying the words. You have facial expressions and body language in movies. And when you're writing a book or when you're writing just a fanfic, you don't have any of those tools to help convey jokes. In fact, even your ability to use timing is somewhat limited because the uh, pregnant pause that's used in a lot of jokes, you don't have that when you're just writing text because it's going to get read at the speed your readers read. You can do a little bit to split it up through dialogue tags, but not really much you can do without it feeling kind of awkward. Yeah, sometimes you can make an ellipsis do work for you here and there, but best used sparingly, right? So um, when I find them, I find that method has utility of um, of controlling the pacing with ellipsis when I'm telling the dad jokes because that moment of anticipation is so important to it. Um, but other types of jokes would be actively harmed. Uh, by that sort of thing, right? So the the ellipsis is serving double duty here. It's both um, delaying the arrival of the punchline to build that to build that moment of tension and controlling the speed um, and, and drawing attention to where the punchline is going to be, um, you know, announcing its presence for all to for all to see. But if you tried to slot an ellipsis into banter, it would actively harm it. Yeah. I would just kind of in terms of general advice I might have look at how you're maintaining and producing suspense within the joke and things such as putting an ellipse in banter is going to diffuse that suspense and basically whatever you can to not diffuse that. Jokes through written media are, as I mentioned, a little bit more limited in terms of how you can deliver it. And so you have to be careful. Ian, do you have any advice for um, written media jokes? Hmm. So one thing that you can do um, when you're simulating, so having, we've talked about using the form of the joke as something that um, that helps people, alert people that that they should, that something's coming and, and create that, it, it, that, expectant state and one thing that you can do in these cases is have characters talk right and having another character uh speak between the um between the setup and the punchline uh can help with that in certain circumstances so um like if you were think about it this way if you were uh, telling a knock-knock joke, it wouldn't function if it was just if you were a knock-knock interrupting cow, right? <laughs> Without the who's there, the form doesn't fit, right? You need you need the other person speaking to maintain the rhythm of it, and so a lot of times you can use uh, another character's uh, when one person is is saying something, is delivering the setup, uh, you can uh, make the form fit 
if you have another character speaking between the setup and the punchline, either to provide additional setup or to uh, manage the rhythm of it. Also, keep your punchline. Uh, make sure your punchlines are punchy. I, I've I've said it a few times. I I really believe it. The the funniest joke that I believe I ever told, I resolved with with three words, uh, just all of them. I'm not going to explain it here because it was it, it's entirely too context dependent. But it, I resolved it with just all of them, nine letters, and it was that was it. And 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 it just slays me. But uh, um, yeah, a punchy punchline will do a lot better than one that has to wander around a bit to find it to find the surprise. Yeah, um, even as I mentioned the joke I tell earlier, which I usually call the bat story, um, as it resolve as it revolves around an exploding bat. It, the joke itself meanders quite a bit, but the punchline itself is probably about six, six or seven words. To be clear, that is an exploding baseball bat, not an exploding flying mammal. <laughs> yes. Uh, Okay, I'm glad that you provided that point of clarification because I had the wrong mental image in mind. I have now corrected. <laughs> and that is humor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're about out of time here this week. Do we have anything in the mailbag, Ian? Uh, nothing new has shown up in our inbox or on our comments since last time. Um, so if you listening have anything that you want to say to us, you can shoot us an email. Our email address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, leave us a comment on YouTube or on uh, a rating and review on uh, whatever service you listen to. And you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Maya, you run our Twitter. What's our handle there? Yes, our uh, Twitter handle is at fanfictiontapes, capital F, capital T. Uh, although who knows how long Twitter is going to remain a stable platform at time of recording. Uh, we had just heard about the new limitations. <laughs> Yes, uh, and I will put all of these in the description so that there are clickable links. Um, Brian, before we go, do you have any uh, works or other stuff that you want to plug? Um, I mean, I, I have my own written stuff, but uh, that's not what I really would suggest to people. The there is a work of criticism that I've found that is the most additive uh, work of criticism I've ever seen. The one that m not only illuminated the subject, but but went beyond and became a real achievement in its own right. And it's on the topic of humor and and where a lot of the it discusses a lot of the vocabulary of humor. And if you will, and it's an article called How Wild E. Coyote Explains the World. And it's wonderful. That sounds pretty interesting. I'll have to uh, take a look at that, if only partly because part of my life has felt like a Wiley E. Coyote scheme. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's, 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 like I said, it's, it's criticism, but it's the most additive sort of criticism uh, that I've ever seen in terms of um, illuminating not only its subject, but a lot of the things that the subject is treating 
And it speaks a lot about the vocabulary of humor and how how these things work. And it's written with open admiration for Chuck Jones and and all that he did um, with the animation in question. And and it, it's it's just a treat. It's a treat. How Wiley e. Coyote explains the world. I love it. Hey, well, I am and have been Maya, and today I was joined by Brian. And as always, I am Ian. Until next time. Bye.